Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one. I always say Christians are like microphones. They're not worth a nickel without the power. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, ain't it true? Let's remember to uh, pray for Pastor Daniel and, and his wife Karen and all the uh, leadership that are away, that God will bless them and refresh them. And How many of you know that God has blessed this church with a great pastor and great leadership? Uh, pastor Daniel, through the years, has just become like a, a brother to me, and we love and appreciate him. Uh, you folks... I heard had a wonderful move of God with my son this year. How many of you met my son, Jonathan? He's, uh, he's one in a million. I'll leave it at that. And I'm very proud of him. Other than every now and then the devil helps him buy his clothes. But other than that... Feel like singing, Lord, help me, Jesus, but I'll, I'll not do it. I saw him not long ago. I said, man, what in the world were you wearing? I saw you online. You looked like you had raided Richard Simmons' garage sale. <laughs> if there's something you need to tell me, just let me know. I'll, I'll take you up to the hunting camp. We'll have a hunting accident, and Dad will take care of it, but... Uh, Anyway, how many have a son and a daughter? Praise the Lord. I am thankful for the opportunity, and uh, it's going to make for a busy uh, Sunday morning, uh, but busy's good. Um, I'll sing a little more tonight, sing a little more Wednesday, uh, but this morning, uh, Pastor Daniel said, uh, would you take the time uh, to serve our family communion and so, ushers, if you would, uh, beginning to serve the communion right now, they're going to distribute both the cup and the bread, and I'm going to take you into the Bible, into 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, please feel free to open to that passage with me. First Corinthians, and the 11th chapter... As the brethren are distributing the communion, both the cup and the bread, if you'd hold that until we pray and we'll partake together. The Apostle Paul wrote two letters to the church at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, the Apostle said, For I received from the Lord... That which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Pause right there. In the 24th verse, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that the focus of communion 
is Jesus Christ. And not that we just remember who Jesus Christ is, but we pause in the hustle and bustle of a carnal world to remember what Jesus Christ did. Many people remember who Jesus Christ is, but they have forgotten what he did. He, as the holy and pure and sinless Son of the living God, willingly left the glory of heaven and came to this earth. And if you ever ask yourself, I wonder why Jesus left the glory of heaven to come to an earth that would not receive him, but rather accuse him, reject him, and eventually crucify him, Jesus told us why he came to this earth. That's found in Luke chapter 19 and down around verse 10 where the scripture says, Jesus spoke these words. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. Can you say praise God? Amen. Jesus gave us his mission statement. You know, successful businesses and companies are always clear about defining the mission statement, being true to the mission statement. Don't neglect the mission statement. Everything has to answer to the mission statement. The church needs to remember the mission statement. Jesus said in Luke 19 and 10, I came to seek and to save the lost. So if you're listening to me today and your heart is not right with God, I'm an evangelist, and in the moments to come when I'm done today, I'm going to give an invitation. And if you've never personally and publicly repented of sin and asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I'd like to pray with you today. I'm not asking you to join a church. This is not about being a Protestant or a Catholic. This is about remembering not only who Jesus is, but remembering what Jesus did. He came to die on the cross as the payment for my sin and for your sin. But you have to make a decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? You can either receive him or reject him. As I was coming into this service, a lady pulled me aside that drove up into the meeting today. This is not our home church. And I remember the day that Molly came forward in one of our lost lamb outreaches here in the state of Alaska and gave her heart to Jesus Christ. And I watched her. She went through hell sideways. I don't have time to tell you all of the ways that the enemy tried to destroy this precious woman. But I saw her this morning. I said, do you remember the last time that I spoke to you what I told you? Uh, she was in a position where she was trying to figure out how to pay the electric bill. And I said, listen, I know you're going through hell sideways, but I promise you that if you'll be faithful to the Lord, the Lord will take you from where you're at today. And if you'll be honorable to God, God will be honorable to you. If you'll be faithful to the house of God, God will be faithful to your house. If you'll let God bless your head. Thank you, sir. If you'll let God bless your head, he'll lead you and guide you. And though you're going through it right now, if you're faithful to the Lord, how many of you know that with God it's always forward and upward? If you're faithful to God. Today she told me that one of the major companies, God gave her an idea for cookies and some recipes. And a major company called Cisco. How many stores did you tell me? 600,000 stores are going to be purchasing that idea that God gave to her 
and she's not worrying about paying the electric bill anymore. I can't promise you that you're going to become an entrepreneur. Somebody asked me the other day, do you think God wants every Christian to be a millionaire? I said, let me tell you something. Even if he did, most people aren't willing to work that hard. But I will promise you that God will take you from where you're at to where he wants you to be. This is really the essence of communion. We pause to remember not just who Jesus is, but we pause in communion to remember what he did. He died on the cross to break the curse of sin and to set every captive free. And still in the 21st century, the power of Jesus breaks the curse of sin, breaks the curse of sickness and disease, breaks the curse of poverty, and takes men and women and boys and girls into a loving relationship where he said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, and he'll walk you through life, and he'll make every crooked path straight, but you've got to trust him. In the passage here, the Bible goes on to say that whoever eats this bread, verse 27, or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And I always pause to tell people, don't forget that most translations of the Bible were written from an English standard of masculinity. But that word man in the original Greek language that the Bible in the New Testament was written in is generic. It means male or female or person. So you have to remember when you read the Bible, God's not a chauvinist. Women, when the Bible says that we as men need to examine himself, that's not an opportunity for you to elbow your husband and say he's speaking to you. No, it means that a person, both a man and a woman, before entering into communion, must examine their heart. The Bible goes on to say, let them examine themselves and eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. That means die. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. And so I just want to say carefully in the presence of a holy God that communion's not for everybody. It's for the children of the Lord. It's for people who have right relationship with God. We're not trying to be elitists or to be exclusive, but to just simply say that the Bible tells us that if we take communion unworthily, we can bring judgment upon our lives. So if you're here today and you're not right with the Lord, I would suggest that you let the communion service go by. But I will say this. Pray the sinner's prayer with me when I give the invitation at the end of this service and come back in the next service and take communion with us. I'd love to do that with many of you that maybe feel, preacher, I know I need to just pass today. I need to pass today. I'm not where I should be with God. Thank you for warning me that the Bible says it's holy and that I shouldn't do it just out of religious ritual, but I need to do it out of right relationship. So I'm not going to judge you for that. That's a personal decision, but I got to love you enough to tell you what the Bible says. If you believe and receive it, say a big amen. amen. The Bible says in verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, 
took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we take both the bread and the cup, and we ask that you'd bless it. We examine ourselves today in the house of the Lord. Father, I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me from every sin, from every stain, everything in my life that's displeasing in your eyes. Strengthen me, make me what I ought to be. Today I trust in your blood and in the cross that which you gave for my salvation. I thank you for your grace. Bless our communion, the cup and the bread, in Jesus' mighty name. We can partake of the bread together. Thank you, Lord. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. How many want to be ready to meet him when he comes? Let's partake of the cup together. Praise God. Lead us in a song, Pastor Micah. Thank you, Lord. Sing it, church. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes Sing it again. Thank you, Lord. Worship Him. Of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as If you're thankful that Jesus died on a cross, for every sinner, including myself and yourself, give him a mighty hand of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In remembrance of you. God bless you. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. Again, tonight at 6 o'clock here in the house of God, Bible prophecy speaking on the subject of eight people who will not be in heaven out of the book of Revelation. Let me encourage you with something. How many of you know that every time you listen to Bible prophecy that there's a supernatural blessing that the Bible has promised just for that subject? 
lot of people don't know that that's in the Bible. There are 66 books in the Bible. The Bible technically is not a book. It is a compilation of 66 books. But there's only one book in the Bible where God offers a supernatural blessing upon the content of that book, and it's the book of Revelation. For the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, whoever reads the words of this prophecy to the church, that will be me, and all who listen to it and all who obey it. The Bible says there is a supernatural blessing. So tonight when you're in the house of God, just as a little added incentive, you're not just coming to church to go for a second time to hear me speak or to hear me sing, but there is a blessing. I don't know what it'll be, but I saw it happen in Soldatna last week. Uh, I was teaching each day, uh, noon to one. I taught all week on the chronology of end time Bible prophecy in the day sessions. And there was a precious lady there. I found out later uh, that she goes to the church pretty much every day and helps volunteers, cooks. We provided meals for everybody that was coming from noon to one on their work hour. They just had to get to the church, and, and uh, lunch was provided, and she was there early and cooked and clean, was at, after. And I found out later that she's just a woman that loves the house of God and, and just goes and helps and volunteers almost every single day. Long story short, I didn't realize this. I'd never met her. But in one of the evening services, I shared Revelation 1-3 how that there's a supernatural blessing every time you make an effort to sit under the preaching of the book of Revelation. And I said, I feel in my spirit that somebody needs a new car, that something has gone wrong and you need a good car. But I feel the Lord speaking to me that because you've been faithful to every single service, that Revelation 1-3 for you means God's about to give you a new vehicle. Well, I found out the next morning, I said that in the evening service, the next morning I meet this lady and she comes, I went to church early, she was already there in the kitchen getting lunch ready. She came to me with tears and she said, last night when you said that, I turned to my husband and said, that's us. They had bought a vehicle and something had gone wrong out of warranty and to repair it was going to cost over $8,000 and they didn't have it. They didn't have anywhere near close to it is what they told me. And they had, how many have ever had car problems in life? Isn't it amazing that God cares even about the details of your life? But she prayed and took that to the Lord. And when I prophesied that the night before, she turned to her husband and said, that's us. The next day, her husband had gone to the dealer and said, is there anything we can do? We, we bought the car from you. We don't have $8,000 to repair it. And the owner, not the dealer, but the owner of the dealership said to that husband, isn't it your wife that I see in that car every day when I drive by that church? Because the church in Soldatna is on the main road, the uh, Kenai Spur Highway. He said, every time I drive by that church, your wife is at the church. He said, yeah, my wife's there all the time. What is she doing? He went on to tell the owner of the dealership how she volunteers. and works. The dealer said, your wife needs a good car. Come with me. Tell you what I'm going to do. And he took the car back from them, said, let's just forget about this one. What does your wife want? Well, she had a list of everything she wanted. 
the dealer gave her everything in a vehicle that was on that list and said, how about we help her out? Let's lower your car payment $400 a month. And the dealer, through the favor, not even a Christian, through the favor of the Lord, had mercy on that couple and delivered the car to the church that morning that I came to the church. Somebody give God a hand of praise. Hallelujah. Now, I'm not promising everybody a new car. But I am telling you that Revelation 1-3, God said what he meant, and he meant what he said. And I want to sow that seed into your faith. When you come to the house of God tonight, come believing that God's going to do something in your family, in your life, in your business, because God is able to do that. It's amazing how when people honor the house of the Lord, how God honors their house. It just works that way. If you have your Bibles, Joshua chapter 7. Wednesday night, I'm preaching on the subject, how to walk in the supernatural increase of God. And uh, I mentioned to you that there's so many hot potato subjects that people scandalize with bad doctrine. So instead of throwing out the doctrine and the teaching in the Bible of how God blesses his people, I'm going to walk you through about 50 passages of Scripture on Wednesday night to show you that the blessing of God is real. By the way, in that message, I'm also going to cover the master key. In my ministry office, we have 21 offices. I have one key that unlocks all 21 doors. Nobody else has that, but I have one master key. I have found with the Lord that in the Bible, there's a master key that unlocks all the doors of God's blessing, God's favor, God's anointing, and God's prosperity. And if anyone ever tells you that God doesn't want to help you and bless you, they don't know their Bible. Because he said in 3 John, I would above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And that communion service that we just took, the blood of Jesus Christ still breaks the curse of sin, the curse of sickness, and the curse of poverty. That's the God we serve. Can you hear a big amen in God's house? They mentioned to me that at the end of the service, they'd like to receive an offering for lost lamb. I'm not going to uh, take time to share the vision of the ministry and talk about that other than uh, they're going to show you a video right now that's just a little over two minutes in length. Some of you that are not familiar with Lost Lamb Association, we're involved in world missions and evangelism. We've held crusades in 56 countries of the world. We've never taken an offering in any of those crusades from the people. We've always done that here in America, and God's been faithful. But uh, you're going to see in one of the pictures, we were just recently in the second largest Muslim country in the world, illegally, and uh, had an event with 40 to 60,000 Muslims that came out, preached the gospel as clearly as I preach it anywhere I go. And uh, somebody said, aren't you afraid? It's Sharia law. If they'd have caught you, uh, they'd have decapitated you on the spot or burned you alive. Well, number one, I had the angels of the Lord. Number two, I hired mercenaries. <laughs> and so I was armed better than anyone anywhere I ever went. And I didn't do that out of sheer terror or fear, uh, but when I got there and saw how many 
underground pastors and underground pastors' wives and even their kids that were working. I did 12 events in six days, uh, not far out of Islamabad at uh, one point, the heart of terrorism in the world. But uh, we did all of those events publicly and distributed Bibles, and uh, it was a high-risk uh, outreach, and I felt like I owed a certain level of protection to the pastors and their wives and their kids, and uh, God through the years has given me some special friends and military and special forces that can, well, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> anyway, play the video, and then we'll share the Word of God before we pray. Over 28,000 Muslims gave their hearts to Christ that night. Baptizing Muslims right here in Alaska. A tribal elder in her 90s that gave her heart to Christ. California, Massachusetts. the Lord. I promise you that whatever you give to this ministry is used prayerfully and carefully. Uh, while we're here in Alaska, uh, we're designating 100% of everything that's given towards our world missions crusades. Uh, we're not going to take one penny uh, towards general expenses or salaries. I'm not going to take one penny personally when I'm in Alaska. We're putting every single penny in our world missions accounts and just ask that you'd pray about what God would lay on your heart. And then I have some wonderful news. Right before I came to Alaska, one of our churches in Texas that uh, stands by the ministry uh, gave us a $10,500 matching gift. And uh, so up to 10500 that we're able to raise towards that is matched dollar for dollar. I had a friend call me, said, when you get back from Alaska, I'd like to 
talk about that. I said, no, no, we don't need to talk about that. You don't know the people in Alaska. That'll be met before I ever leave Alaska, and I know it will. And uh, so thank you for praying about what God would have you to do. Joshua 7, let's get into the Word. By the way, if you're a visitor, a guest, or an unbeliever, uh, you don't have to give one penny to this ministry. You're my special guest. Whoever invited you, they didn't invite you so that you could be a blessing to me. I'm hoping I can be a blessing to you. Joshua 7, you're going to get the Cliff Notes version of this message, but I hope the Lord will help me. Before I came back down, I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, help me to manage my time and say what I should say and, and quit when I'm done or quit when you're done, whichever's best. So I'm going to do my best to keep my promise to the Lord. In Joshua chapter 7, instead of reading the entire passage for the sake of time, let me just give you the background. Normally I'd read this entire passage because I'm one of those old school evangelists. Billy Graham was my hero. And one of the things that I learned from Billy Graham is start in the Bible, stay in the Bible, and finish in the Bible, and that'll help you to keep your nose clean. So I'm going to start in the Bible, stay in the Bible, and finish in the Bible. But this is an incredible story that covers Achan's sin. Some of you maybe have heard of that. Some of you probably never have. But Achan was a part of the tribe of the Jewish people, and they were traveling. They were nomadic at this point. Joshua is their leader and their general, and he's leading the children of Israel, and God has made a covenant with the children of Israel, and here's the covenant. Pay attention. The covenant was... If you will walk humbly before me, obey my covenant, and acknowledge me every day in all of your ways, my blessing will follow you all the days of your life. Your enemies will never be able to prevail against you. Now let me pause long enough as I've said that that covenant is still in play through the cross and through Christ. The same covenant that God made with the children of Abraham, Galatians chapter 3, said has been made available even to Gentiles by faith in Jesus Christ. So the covenant that I'm going to be sharing and preaching on today is available to us. God, in other words, is telling us in the 21st century in the state of Alaska, my principle on this is unchanging. If you will walk in my covenant, his word, the Holy Bible, if you will walk in his covenant, if you will obey it, if you will walk humbly before the Lord instead of arrogance and pride and selfishness, and he said, if you'll acknowledge me in your ways, I'll direct your path. I have to give credit to God. Celebrating 40 years of ministry and marriage, God has supernaturally helped me, but I'm still trying to do the same thing every day. When I get up, I take time to read my Bible. I take time to pray. What's prayer? It's just talking to God from your heart if you've never been raised around the truth of the Bible. You don't have to pray in a church only. You don't have to be in a building with stained glass windows. You don't have to be in your best clothes. I pray a whole lot more in my favorite jeans and boots driving down a highway than I do in a church. But in all of your ways, acknowledge him. And Proverbs 3 says, if in all your ways you'll acknowledge him, he will direct your path. 
God is concerned about your life. He's concerned about your job. He's concerned about your home. He's concerned about your children. He's concerned about your grandchildren. He's concerned about the mess you're going through. He's concerned about any detail in your life that you can think of because he's a loving heavenly father. And he said, if you'll get in right relationship with me, I will walk through you in life. The Bible said your enemies will come against you one way, but they'll flee against you seven ways. So when you live in right relationship with God, even the people who want to destroy you, they may come against you, but God said they'll come one way, but when I get done kicking their tail, they're going to flee from your life seven ways because God takes good care of his children. Can I hear a big amen? But here's the problem. Just like in modern life, they got a little too relaxed and took God for granted. And they're facing a little opponent in AI, and it's a small little military band. And Joshua's military coordinator came to him and said, Joshua, we've done the recon, and here's what we've found. It's just a small community and a small army, and there's no need to tire out the entire military force. Let's just send a small group and some of our special forces, and we'll mop this up for you. So Joshua, either in indifference or being comfortable with how life was going and forgetting God, didn't pray about it, didn't acknowledge God, just said, that sounds good, get it done. But the Bible said that when they went out there to defeat the military, that that little army soundly defeated them, killed several of their special forces and drove them out and they were retreating. So now the report comes back that they've been defeated by somebody that shouldn't have even been able to stand in their shadow and Joshua now knows what's happened. He knows that because they had grown comfortable in their life, and had forgotten God, and had not talked to Him, had not prayed, had not asked God, what is your will for this battle? God lifted His hand of blessing off of them. And when God's hand of blessing lifted off of them, the wheels came off the wagon. Let me tell you something as a straight preacher down the middle. When you ignore God, don't be surprised if the wheels start coming off your wagon. God is there to help you, but you've got to walk humbly before the Lord and lean upon His strength every day of your life. But if you get comfortable and start bragging about how you're doing and how it's been and you get into a comfort zone whereby you forget God, you forget church, you start going to church on Sunday only when it's convenient or where the weather is so lousy you can't figure out something else to do or when it's so cold you may as well say, you know, it's warm in the church. There's nothing to do this weekend. May as well go to the house of God. And God's house starts becoming optional and you're not reading your Bible and you're not praying, let me tell you something, you're ignoring God and God doesn't like being ignored. Just like anybody else in a good relationship doesn't like being ignored. It's like the fellow that had been married for almost 30 years and his wife came to him one day and she said, listen, I don't want to complain. And he saw the tears and she said, I just got to get this off my chest. She said, you know, we've been married over 30 years. I can't remember the last time I heard you say I love you. He said, well, I told you the day I married you that I loved you. She said, yeah, but I can't think of a time you've told me since. He said, well, I haven't changed my mind. 
No, you tell God you love him every day. I asked my wife, I said, if, if you outlive me, are you going to remarry? She said, you think I'm going to your funeral all by myself? <laughs> no, she didn't say that. <laughs> Lord, I apologize for that, and I ask you, forgive me in Jesus' name. But that's exactly what we do with God. When things are going good, sometimes we don't feel the need for church. When we get busy, we don't have time to read the Bible. When we feel like we've got it all in control and it's me, myself, and I, we quit praying. But every day I try to get down on my knees. I spend time in the Bible and I get down on my knees and I say, God, I need you as much now as I've ever needed you. And I pray you direct my path. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for shoes on my feet. Thank you for clothes on my back. Thank you for a roof over my head. Thank you that you're faithful. You've put food on my table. Thank you for my son. Thank you for my daughter. Thank you for my grandkids. And acknowledge the Lord in humility every day. And the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know, when I give the invitation in a few moments to come to this altar and pray the sinner's prayer with me, it's going to take humility. Any gutless wonder can sit in their seat and watch. But it takes humility to meet me at this altar. It'll take faith to get to this altar. It'll take courage to get to this altar. Molly, do you still remember the night you came for? Do you ever regret making a personal and public commitment to the Lord? Has God watched over you? Yeah. Let me tell you something. You need to be sure before you walk out of this house that you have a right relationship with God. Because I'm not here trying to sell your religion. I'm here to tell you Jesus Christ is coming soon. And you had better keep all of your accounts with God paid in full. And make sure every day that you know, that you know, that you know that your sins are forgiven and your heart is right with God. Some of you that will pray with me, it might be the very first time you've ever prayed publicly and asked Jesus Christ into your heart. Say, man, that sounds different to me. I, I, I don't know. Why, why, why don't you just say a prayer and I'll bow my head and do it here? I'll tell you why. Because God doesn't create cowards. It takes courage to get to an altar. We've already got too many hypocritical camouflage Christians. Go to church on Sunday, live like hell Monday through Saturday. This is not a camouflage Christianity presentation. This is a serve the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind kind of Bible. And it's going to take courage to get to this altar. Now listen, I'm not going to keep you. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're not asking you to join the church. I want to pray a sinner's prayer with you. And some of you, you're way overdue. God's here today ringing your doorbell. You need to go to the door and answer it and let the Lord come into your heart. He said in Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and will open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him. Have you ever seen the famous painting of Jesus knocking on the door? I have it hanging in my home. 
When the artist unveiled that painting of Jesus knocking on the door, one of the individuals at the unveiling said, listen, I don't want to be a critic, but I happen to notice that you forgot to put a handle on the door. In that famous painting, the man forgot to put a handle on the door. So they thought. He said, no. He said, the Bible said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come in. When Jesus Christ knocks on your heart's door, there is no handle on the outside. It has to be open from the inside. Christ can't come into your heart unless you open up the door. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that Jesus is a gentleman. He never knocks the door down. He waits for you to be humble enough to open it. And last week we saw many people, I think every single service, many people come forward publicly on the Kenai Peninsula, give their hearts to Jesus Christ. I dismissed the services each night around 9 o'clock, and when I say dismissed, I told the people after we had prayed the sinner's prayer. I said, now I don't have a formal dismissal in our evening services this week. We're going to open up the altar for prayer and minister to people that have needs. But if you need to be dismissed, you can leave and feel free. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow night. But we left the altars open and many people prayed. Every night people were there to 10 or 10.30. I find people in Alaska are hungry for God, hungry for a move of God. But in the after service around 10.15 one night, a woman came to me. She said, there's a boy here and he wants to speak to you. I went over and sat by him. He was a 12-year-old native Alaskan boy, and he was sitting there with his head down, very bashful, but I could see his tears. He said, sir, when you gave that invitation at the end of the service to pray with people that needed to give their hearts to Jesus, I wanted to go, but I was scared, and I didn't go. He said, but I can't leave until I do that. Is it too late to give my heart to Jesus Christ? I said, no, son. I said, I'd love to pray with you, but let's go up and go together, and let's go down to the altar and kneel before the Lord and pray. And I led that young native boy down to the altar and prayed with him before the week was over. His mom and dad and sisters were at the altar. Friends, it takes courage to live for Jesus Christ. And some of you, if you would make a decision to get your heart right with God, you'd see God begin to work in your family. Some of you are walking on a path of sin and selfishness, but what you don't know is that the end of the trail is judgment. The end of the trail, the Bible says there really is a heaven and there really is a hell. Now that's a tough thing for a preacher to say, but I love you enough to tell you that they haven't edited that out of the Bible and it's still there. The Bible said there really is a heaven and there really is a hell and there really is life after death. And if you've seen the stories and the movies and the documentaries throughout history, people always have life after death experiences and they either talk about a bright light and peace and angels or something of that nature or they talk about horror and screaming and hell and fire and pain. I've never heard anybody say it was incredible. I was in the hospital. I flatlined. I died and I woke up and I was at Six Flags in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> it's always heaven and hell. But I don't believe in heaven and hell because somebody had a documentary about life after death. 
I believe in heaven and hell because the Bible said there's a heaven and a hell. Why? Because when you were created, the Bible said in Genesis that when you were created by God, he breathed into mankind. No other species, no other animal, no other creation. He breathed into humanity the breath of life and man became a living soul. You not only have a physical body, you have a living soul. You are not only a physical person, you have a spiritual side. That's why when you've been involved in a relationship and you've been involved sexually with somebody you haven't been married to, you get all complicated because you didn't realize that sex is not just a physical act, it's a spiritual act. And not knowing that, there were soul ties created and that's why people can't break out of bad relationships. That's why people can't get out of abusive relationships. They know what they ought to do, but it's like they're super glued to their sin and their curse. I'm here to tell you when Jesus died on the cross. He died to break the curse of sin and to set the captive free. But you've got to come in childlike faith and say, today I receive. Take courage to do that. It always does. Anybody can sit on their blessed assurance and leave. But to kneel at an altar and say, Lord, I'm tired of being a religious person. I want to be right with God. Because there's a world of difference between being religious and being righteous. There's a world of difference between being religious and having a right relationship with God. Let's take a look at Achan's sin. Because of Achan's sin, the blessing of God had lifted from the camp. Achan's sin caused their loss in that simple military skirmish. Why? Because you can't have right relationship with God when you're holding on to unrepented sin. How many heard what I just said? It's one thing to slip and to fall. It's one thing to have transgressions that come into your life and things happen. It's another thing to know there's something wrong in your life and to willingly do it day after day after day. Thank you for all those amens. But Achan's sin caused the blessing of God to lift off the entire camp. So Joshua was given directions by the Lord how to single out the person who caused the problem. And don't ever forget that before I bypass it. Don't ever forget that. Your sin affects other people. I know of a mother that has walked away from her husband. And she's been involved in multiple relationships in this state. But what she doesn't realize is that she's tearing her little boy and her little girl apart. To hear those little kids tell their grandma, where's my mother? Why won't mommy come home? I want mommy to marry daddy again. How come mommy doesn't say hi? Mommy came and didn't even say goodbye. Let me tell you something. Your sin is contagious. But you know this girl that had been unfaithful to her husband and is destroying her home? Her mother did the exact same thing at the exact same age to her. Isn't it time somebody in your family broke the curse of sin? Isn't it time somebody in your family broke the heartache and the pain? Isn't it time somebody in your family broke the addiction to drugs? Isn't it time somebody in your family broke the curse of alcohol?
Isn't it time somebody in your family broke the curse of poverty? You see, what some of you don't know is if you'd come to this altar and pray this simple sinner's prayer with me, you're going to stop a chain reaction. Because, sir, let me tell you something. You may live without God and think nothing of it, but your brother may follow you straight to hell. Your son may follow you straight to hell. Your daughter may follow you straight to hell. How you live determines how somebody else lives. And somebody in your family needs to be man enough or woman enough on a Sunday morning like today to get down on bended knees in the presence of a holy God. Say, Lord, I sure have messed a lot of stuff up. And I've fallen short. I've sinned. I've done stuff I shouldn't have done. Even when I was doing it, I knew it was wrong, but I keep doing it. I know it's not right. I don't know why I can't change. But God, I'm going to trust what that man preached in the Bible today. He said, the Bible said, whosoever will may come. He said that Jesus died on the cross for sinners. That's me. He said that you have the ability to break the curse of sin in my heart. I need some help. So, Lord, will you come into my heart today? Be my Lord and Savior. In childlike faith, I repent of my sin. Make me a real Christian. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me your power. Today I vow I'll serve the Lord, but I'm going to need your help. And when you pray what many people call a sinner's prayer, the Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We all know how to get sin out. There's only one way to get sin out, and that's to trust in Christ. In childlike faith, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. God doesn't want you to face judgment. Hell wasn't even created for the human race if you knew theology. Hell was created for the devil and the fallen angels and the curses that they've brought upon the earth. If you go to hell, it's not going to be because God sent you there. It's going to be because when he offered a hand of mercy... You spat on it and walked out of church and said no. Because there's no neutral with God. There's only two things you can do with Jesus Christ. You can receive him or you can reject him, but you can't remain neutral. You say, well, I'm just going to leave the service and think about this and I'm going to be neutral. No, when you turn your back and walk out on an invitation, that's not being neutral. That's rejection. And if the Lord were to come, listen, don't miss this. If the Lord were to come today, and you stand before God in eternity. He said, you were in church on Sunday morning. Pastor was at a conference. There was a guest evangelist there, redheaded, big and ugly, but loved you enough to tell you the truth. And he told you from the time they introduced him while he was there. He told you he came not to judge you, not to condemn you, but to help you. He kept telling you, I'm going to pray with you, but you've got to make the choice. He told you, you can only receive me or reject you. I made it so clear to you that Sunday morning, but in your stubbornness and in your unbelief, you got up and you walked out. You did not remain neutral. When I offered you my son and I offered you my love and I offered you my forgiveness, you got up and walked out because you had something in the afternoon more important to you than your soul and your eternity. That's how it's going to go down. I was talking to a guy not long ago. I enjoy talking to heathens. They're my people. 
That's my target audience. And I was talking to this guy, and uh, as you probably figured out by now, I'm not real bashful about talking about the Lord. But in talking to him, he got a little irate. He said, if God has a problem with the way I'm living, he can tell me to my blanking face. I said, I didn't know you were a student of the Bible. Because the book of Revelation says in the judgment, that's exactly what he's going to do. You're going to stand before God, and he's going to tell you to your blanking face. not exactly how it's written in the King James, son, but that's exactly how it's going to go down. It's going to go down. And you know what happens to any, listen, you know what happens to anybody that ever hears Tiff Shuttlesworth preach? It's a two-edged sword when you come to hear me. Anyone who ever listens to me preach will never be able to stand before God and say, no preacher ever loved me enough to tell me straight. No preacher ever loved me enough to tell me he wanted to pray for me. No preacher ever loved me enough to tell me that no matter how bad my sins were, that God would forgive me if I'd come and pray and trust his grace. Because I have done nothing but tell you that from the time I got here. And I'm going to give the invitation in just a, a moment, but before we do, go down to verse 21. One day if the Lord tarries, I'll come back and I'll cover this properly. But look at verse 21. Achan gives his confession. In verse 21, he said, Among the plunder I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins, a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them, and they are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. Break his confession down into four pieces and you'll see exactly how sin gets into your life. He said, when I saw, the first step to sin is your eye. Matthew 6, the Bible says your eyes are the window to your soul. And if your eyes are healthy, your spirit man will be healthy. But if your eyes are sickly, your soul will be diseased. I just read a study that the average American spends 74% of every waking hour with a digital device of some sort in front of their eyes. 74% of every waking hour. This happens to be a product made by a company called Apple. And I see people all over the world with their Apple iPhones in front of their eyes. I always tell them, flip that phone over. Have you ever asked yourself why the logo of the company is an apple with a bite out of it from the original sin in the Garden of Eden? Ever thought about that? I'm not saying your iPhone's a sin. Don't stomp it in the parking lot. But I don't think it's accidental that our society, 74% of every waking hour, is holding an apple with a bite out of it in front of their face. Well, I got an Android. Am I safe? Nope. <laughs> I saw every sin begins with an unguarded eye. And if you constantly have the world and carnality and selfies and selfishness and, and uh, money and, and lust and, and sexuality, and constantly you have that in front of your eye, don't be surprised if it gets into your spirit, because then he said, I coveted. 
You can't covet something you don't know exists. Not one kid in the village of the Amazon. I went up to the Amazon and preached uh, seven outreaches in one day, going up through the villages of the Amazon. Not one kid said, you know what my problem is? I really want to have a Bentley. Because they don't know what a Rolls Royce is in the villages of the Amazon. And you can't drive one in the river. And there are no roads. Do you know what the pastor said we need? We need boats. We can't evangelize without boats. And with God's help, we took eight boats and motors filled with food and, and uh, relief back into those villages and dropped them off. I'll never forget one pastor crying on my shoulder through the interpreter saying, our church has prayed every Sunday morning for 13 years that one day God would bless us enough that we'd own our own boat. Now I can go and I can pick people up and bring them to God's house. How many of you know we're blessed in America? I saw, I coveted, I took. That's when Americans identify sin. We don't even identify sin until we participate. Then he said, I hid. There's the mistake. And if you wonder why Achan was judged so severely in Joshua chapter 7, it's because there was no repentance, there was no admission. He hid from sin until God called him out. Better to call yourself out than to wait for judgment day than when God calls you out. Because it'll be a different set of rules if you stand before him and you've not been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Stand to your feet with me, please, all across this sanctuary. That is such a rich passage, I apologize for going by it so quickly. I saw... I coveted, I took, I hid. Proverbs tells us, whoever conceals their sins will never prosper. But whoever confesses them and renounces them will always have mercy. Did you hear it? Straight out of the Bible. The book of Proverbs chapter 28. Whoever conceals their sins will never prosper. But whoever confesses them and renounces them will always receive mercy. So when I give this invitation, you got two choices. You can receive Christ or you can reject Christ. You can walk out of here with the forgiveness of God, fresh and free and real. Or you can walk out of here with the consequence of your sin following you all the days of your life. And James 1.15 says, Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. There's pleasure in sin. The Bible tells us there's pleasure in sin. Some people preach on sin as if it's just a wicked, horrible, zombie apocalypse. Every No. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin. The devil will always bring sin into your life in the form of something you think you need. Something that feels good. Something that has a thrill, something that has a high, something that has an adrenaline rush. The devil will always introduce sin to you by something that appeals to you and you feel I can't live without it, or him, or her. But sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Down in the Kenai Peninsula, one of the most famous salmon rivers in the world, Kenai River. Eight out of the top ten world record kings caught right down on the Kenai. And I've seen the guides take real eggs out of a real salmon 
and put them on a hook and take their clients down the river, float that egg sac down the water, and the fish come up and grab it. 99% of what the fish grabs is real, what they need, what they eat, what they normally feed on. But there's a thin piece of wire, and there's pleasure for a season. James 1.15, sin when it is finished brings forth death. The devil will let you have your fun until he gets a hook in your soul. And as soon as he gets a hook in your soul, then the pleasure starts to turn to pain and problem. But eventually it's going to turn to penalty. By coming to the altar and praying with me, they're going to sing a simple song of invitation. By coming to this altar and praying with me, listen, I'm not going to embarrass you. We're going to pray together. I don't know why people are so freaked out about coming to an altar in a church and praying. They'll dance naked on a bar in front of 200 people they don't know at a club, but they have problems getting to an altar. We're not going to freak out on you. We're going to pray. I love you. God loves you. You just have got to make your own decision. And when we pray, God said what he meant and meant what he said. He'll forgive your sins. Come into your heart. Now, I always ask the people that have the courage, you be the very first ones to come. Your courage will help somebody that doesn't have the same courage. Christian, I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to take faith and courage. Take and listen. Be very sensitive to the Spirit. Take an account of the people that are with you. Maybe you brought a friend, a family member, maybe somebody sitting next to you. You don't even know them. But when people are gathering, will you just turn to them and say, kindly, not arrogantly, kindly, just say, I'll walk with you. We see thousands of people every year in Lost Lamb events that give their hearts to Christ because somebody just is gracious enough to say, hey, been there, done that, but today I'll walk with you. Come on and let's go. If you're coming to this altar, you're saying, I want to be a real Christian, whether it's your first time, maybe you're backslidden and away from the Lord and need to come home. I'm going to kneel here and wait for you, and then we're going to pray before they dismiss. This is your chance. Come on in Jesus' name, and we'll pray. I'm so proud of you. I am so proud of you. Took faith and courage, humility to do what you're doing, sincerity. We're going to pray a sinner's prayer together. Listen, the only reason I ask you to pray with me is because I'm not your pastor. I don't know everybody here. But I meet people everywhere I go, and God sends people into meetings everywhere I go that have never been to church, don't know how to pray. 
The only reason I want you to pray with me is for the sake of some people that may not know how to pray or be intimidated by that. But listen, you're not talking to me. We're going to talk to the Lord. You say, preacher, you really believe if I pray this prayer with you, the Lord will hear me? He said it in the Bible. He said, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's you. That's me. And when you pray, I'm going to ask you to pray out loud. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when you whisper, it's usually out of guilt and shame. And you're not coming to God today as your judge. So you don't have to feel guilt and shame. You're coming to Him as your Heavenly Father. And He loves you just the way you are. Pray this with me. Say, Heavenly Father. Today as I was listening to the Bible, you were speaking to me. Down deep in my heart, I want to be a real Christian. I don't want to live under the curse of sin. I want to live in the blessing of God. And so this day, in the name of Jesus, I'm trusting in the grace of God. I confess all my sin. You know everything I've ever done. But the Bible says when Jesus died and shed his blood, it cleanses all sin. So in childlike faith, as I repent of my sin, I am now made clean in the eyes of God. Cleanse my mind my body and my spirit come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I vow this day I will serve the Lord, but I'm going to need your help. In place of my weakness, give me your strength. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and keep me true unto the coming of the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Give God a mighty hand of praise. That's awesome. Now listen, as pastor comes to dismiss this service, listen very carefully. What you just did is not the end of what God wants to do with your life. It's just the beginning. Four things every successful Christian does. Number one, get to a good Bible-believing church every Sunday. If you live in the Wasilla area, you ought to be right here. If you haven't met Pastor Daniel, awesome pastor, awesome church. These people will love you and help you get to church every Sunday. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Every Sunday morning, God finds out who's really in covenant with Him. Number two, get a Bible and read it. You don't have to read the whole book by breakfast, even if it's just a chapter a day, but get a Bible and read it because the Bible's not just a religious book. There's living power in that. It says in Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. As you read the Bible, there's going to be a new strength to help you with some old bad stuff. Number three, pray every day. That's just talking to God. God, I gave my heart to Jesus on Sunday. This is all new to me. I don't have one clue as to what I'm doing, but I'm going to talk to you every day. I'm going to work. Help me to quit cussing at people. Help me to quit stealing. Help me to be what you want me to be. And just talk to God. Number four, win your friends and family to Christ. You may be the only gospel that I'll ever hear or ever see. And your changed life 
will be a powerful witness for the Lord. And I'll send you a free gift. It's entitled Living the Christian Life. There are altar workers there with you. If you'll just leave an address, no postage, no handling, no strings attached. The people and partners of Lost Lamb Ministry, we believe in what you did this morning. It's why this ministry exists. Just need some way to get it to your head. Go to our podcast channel. Go to lostlamb.org on the website. What's the website at the church? kcalaska.com. Plug in here. Get help from God. We'll see you tonight in God's house. We'll see it uh, one o'clock, I guess. Amen. So, altar workers, if you want to get names of the people here, we're going to be dismissed in prayer. Ushers, if you would have the offering baskets, uh, buckets uh, out there at the end of the aisles, that's how we'll do this because we, we've got another service that's going to get started in just a couple of moments. So, if you would like to get, leave a love offering as you, on your way out, the ushers will have the offering buckets. But let's be dismissed in prayer. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for what you've done today, Lord. We thank you for all of these that have given their life or rededicated their life. Bless them. Cause them to grow in you, Father. Thank you for the ministry of Brother Tiff Shuttlesworth. Be with your people, Lord, as they leave this place. Father, lift up your countenance towards them. Cause your face to shine upon them. Bless them and give them perfect peace in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. The one o'clock service will start at 1.12. Ten minutes. Amen. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.